Sweet, sweet soul, sing your truth. Let it flow, flow through you. Sweet, sweet soul, sing your truth. Let it flow. Flow through you, sweet, sweet soul, sing your truth, let it flow, flow through you, yeah, sweet, sweet soul, sing your truth. Let it flow, flow through you. Song as devotion, song as longing, song as loving was a gift that was given to me very, very early on. That is like so precious to me. Welcome to Everything is Spiritual, a podcast from Soul Care Urban Retreat Center. We're talking with local folks faith leaders, creatives, thinkers, and community advocates, getting personal about their faith and spirituality and how it shows up in their daily life and work. I'm Kelly Skinner, your host, and I'm sharing these heart-centered conversations to invite you to become more aware that everything is spiritual and to deeply connect with what is most true and alive in your own everyday life. Hello, Seekers. Today, we have my friend, Lindsay Scott, on the podcast. She's an artist, a weaver, a sacred space holder. Through her example and her friendship, she's taught me to open my heart more with compassion and grace and to lean on the strength of my ancestors. We had a fascinating conversation about rekindling kinship with the earth, the power of song and other spiritual technologies, and anchoring anti-racism as a contemplative and embodied practice. Let's get right in to my conversation with Lindsay Scott. My whole heart feels just relaxed and smiling to be here with you. And here we go. All right. So why don't we just dive right in? And I know for you, there's been a little bit of a journey over the past couple of years. You grew up in the Rantoul area, and then you left for St. Louis and some adventures beyond, and then you returned back home a couple years ago, um, and then back to Champaign just recently, right? Yeah. So why don't you tell me a little bit about your journey to get where you are now? Thanks. That's a big opening. (laughs) (laughs) Circles definitely has been a circle in returning. I went to art school here at the University of Illinois and then followed that wave to St. Louis for a decade of collaboration and community art. And what ended up being a really big awakening to social justice, you know, coming from small town, you know, semi-rural conservative Christianity And then stepping into collaborations on the north side of St. Louis, there was a lot that I didn't know that I needed to know and really started to feel collaboration as a kind of church as well, just really delving into the creative practice and to uncertainty of like not knowing and following a thread together as part of a 
just learning to listen to, to the journey of the soul. And for me, that led then to permaculture, like thinking and learning about permaculture and growing up in the corn and the soy and really enjoying like the simplicity and the sort of the barrenness of, of farmland, you know, metaphorically, like the deep roots, rich soil, but also, you know, starting to understand a permacultural call towards ecological rich, richness and systems. I just started to become curious about coming home and like reconciling at the root and being with my blood family you know, I, I was um, fully in the conservative Christianity of my youth until my early 20s and sort of ran away from a lot of that. And so at some point along uh, about the time that I was starting to think permaculturally, I started really thinking about restorative culture and restorative practice and understood that the next leg of my journey was was to come home and really get to know my family and acknowledge the richness of some of my Christian roots that I had, you know, been far from. And so the last seven years home has been um, that process and then Corona coaster and the great big pivot and um, the, the small yoga studio that I started in Rantoul, I closed and I'm just following the thread to listen to what's next. Mm-hmm. And that brings me to this moment with all my plant babies. I'm not a pet owner, but I am a plant mommy. And that's the room that you see me in right now. They keep me alive for sure, especially in the winter. There's a whole culture around being plant parents and groups that I'm starting to discover. And it's so interesting, the culture that has grown up, especially with Corona and people being inside and tending to those living things that has been a really cool thing to emerge, I think, from Corona Coaster. Yeah, definitely relating to plants. And I mean, plants are have all like our consciousness grew up in harmony with plants. And then so many of us are are cut off from that way of listening and inner being. It's just like a real subtle like heart imprints, the way they speak and learning to like hear the language of trees and hear the language of plants. And yeah, it's a big, it's a big part of my, my heart home, my spirit home. So you talked a little bit about growing up in that conservative rural base, conservative Christian churches. Talk about how that might be some of the roots of your belief system um, and the base where you started and what, what effect that that had on you? I'd love to. Yeah. I definitely feel like face to face with some of the shadow scripts that are still living in me as I continue like deeper into anti-racist commitment and like looking at how white supremacy lives in me. I think that there's so much beauty in radical Christianity and a lot of the ways that everything is practiced in in our culture is like infiltrated with, with white supremacy. And so I think noticing how patriarchy and sort of colonial culture were part of how I intook that faith is, is definitely where some of my work is right now, in particular, how I was taught to experience and view my body and sexuality 
And so that is part of the shadow of, of Christianity that I'm grappling with as I, you know, continue my own liberation work. And also there was something in my psyche about us versus them that us versus them that, you know, like, are you saved or not saved? Are you the brand of Christian that we, that we agree with? Or, you know, there was so much othering and separation in the way that I swallowed that, which is still, you know, just like healing that separation wound in my own mind. But there's so much beauty in the way that that faith was handed to me, just like consistently understanding or or like perceiving the world through, you know, not, not just what I can see is real, but like really feel I was a quite a mystical child and felt the unseen world and felt the miracle around me. And that was encouraged by my faith. I grew up in a non-denominational church that was like down with the gifts of the spirit. And so our power as we can share it in the spirit realm and how, as we can explore it and our ability to speak things into existence and to, to manifest that was all handed to me, you know, and some, and some maybe weird packaging, but from a very young age, but like just community, beloved community. I always remember like after church hanging out in the foyer, like that was church to me, just like being together. So there was something really sacred about the rhythm of coming together weekly of sharing our struggles of, holding each other close, like, you know, the laying on of hands, praying together, but mostly singing together. I mean, really, that was my church. My mama was the pianist. And so she would just sing her heart song at night. And so worship, like song as devotion, song as longing, song as loving was a gift that was given to me very, very early on. That is like so precious to me. Um, So it's a little Mm -hmm. bit about like the faith that I that I grew up in. And I was like a hundred percent in it, in it to win it. See with the flagpole, let's go. Bible says, okay, you want to get saved? All right. I'm going to save you, you know, and I can look on that with like a lot of shame, but also just a lot of, you know, humor and we're all doing the best with what we got. Yeah. So yeah. At least you were enthusiastic. <laughs> right? <laughs> Whatever you're going to do, do it all the way. I just got done reading Malcolm X's autobiography so compelling for so many reasons. But one of the things I loved was he was just a hundred percent in what he was in. You know, when he was a young person, he was a leader. When he was hustling on the street, he was hustling. When he was in prison, he was reading everything he could get a hands on. When he was in the nation of Islam, he was in it, you know, and just like, what a beauty it is to, to not hold back and to, know that like our yes will lead us to the yet next yes. And that there's really no mistake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was so I watched that documentary or not the, the movie on Netflix called One Night in Memphis, which was about the gathering with him and Sam Cooke and Muhammad Ali and famous black football player at the time. And they were all friends and they had this iconic night right after one of Muhammad Ali's big wins and before he changed his name from Cassius Clay to Muhammad Ali. And the movie is certainly fictionalized, but it gave me a really neat personification of Malcolm X and and his intensity, but also his, the light that he had inside of him. So and good. it was just such a neat movie. And I, I actually followed up in watching a a documentary that just came out about Sam Cooke and it talked a little bit more about their relationship too. So I would highly encourage both the book, the movie and the documentary. And I'll put those in the show notes as well. Sweet. Yeah. Thanks for the recommendation. Uh-huh. 
So you talked, you know, from from see you at the pole to talking about <laughs> permaculture and plants. How do you think your spirituality has evolved, and and what what would you say has been that kind of pivotal experience that was maybe critical for you in opening the door to your current beliefs? Like, what was that threshold that we were talking about before? Glory to glory. <laughs> um, yeah, like, I feel like, yeah, the yes know, to yes. What was yeah, the first yes? Yeah, it's like it's like the breadcrumb trail, right? And I know. And I know, you know, I'll listen to this in five years and, and look back and just be smiling, <laughs> right? Because, like, hopefully we keep getting our mind blown. I think uh-huh. it's Teresa de Avila says, all concepts of God are like a jar I break because only the infinite can contain your perfect love. Oh, I love that. That's an awesome yeah. quote. Love Poems from God, Daniel Ladinsky, definitely, like, brought me back to my sacred past. So, like I told you, I grew up Christian and then was just like, yeah, I ran the other way, St. Louis, just, you know, my 20s was riding bikes, smoking pot, making art, just like (laughs) decomposing a lot of what needed to go and learning to play, learning to welcome my shadow. And I had an experience that was really formative in my life, a violent assault in my home. And it actually was quite a mystical experience because my mom told me when I was young, you know, like a script that I had in my brain was like, that if, if you need protection, say, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus, you know? And so when I was grappling with the stranger who had malintent, I could, I called that out in a way that shifted my experience of reality. And I had the, the, like how I understand it now is that I was invoking, I am consciousness and I, and everything got really slow motion in this way where I knew that we were like wrestling on the, on the physical, on the spiritual plane. And that, that whatever he was trying to give me was pain that was given to him. And I understood that we had a, we had an opportunity to collaborate in the present moment on each other's liberation. And I won't go into the details of what happened, but it was, it was definitely the, it was definitely a wake up call in my life that planted seeds that are still the path I'm walking in terms of prison abolition and, understanding white supremacy and sexual liberation and just that like, you know, what Fannie Lou Hamer says is like, nobody's free until everybody's free and that this is a dance. And then, you know, I just have followed that, that thread, that instance caused me to need a lot more healing in my nervous system. So I found the path of yoga and meditation, the passion of meditation, following that path, like I said, led me to permaculture and really grounding my energy system with the body of the earth and just like feeling how much love for us is here and how many kin, you know, in the more than human world are here to be our teachers and our plant sisters. And, and so I just keep following that thread. And most recently I, I lived through a pretty intense chronic illness and the course in miracles fell into my lap and the, the simplicity of forgiveness the power and the centrality of forgiveness to liberation. And in fact, yesterday I just had a pretty cosmic experience with a a former partner was driving across the country and stopped by to pick up a painting that was his. And we created ceremony together, like to, to forgive each other on these levels. And I, I mean, I can't, I'm still processing what happened, but the power of forgiveness to liberate 
and to call us into the present moment because so much of the time we're relating to ourselves and each other as relics of the past, you know, our bodies, our nervous systems habituated to the early traumas that we had and just so curious how we can collaborate with each other to choose to be free in in this moment and really call on all the teachers and supports we have in all the realms to to just choose to choose that again and again and again. I think one of the hard things about our world today is that we don't necessarily allow ourselves to be 100% vulnerable to explore any of these concepts and so one of the gifts that I know that I I just relish in having soul care is that I can immediately go and ask the deep questions because that's where I love to play and people are just longing to have those heartfelt conversations and they may not even know what they believe yet or they may be in a growth period they may be in a looking back looking forward state and I'm glad that to have the opportunity to have these open conversations and just expose people to some of those words that you that you brought up that some people may never have heard before and maybe they can start exploring those for themselves. I feel like when we when we hear each other's stories we we free each other. We're working with that. I, I get to be with a group of young people from St. Louis who are yeah, exploring their, their freedom, their liberation, and they're telling each other their stories and just like watching them feel recognition or feel curiosity or feel disgust or feel overwhelmed. Just like, but then when we, when we share how spirit is moving through us, you know, we we're resonant chambers. So we feel it's like deep calls to deep. That was a scripture that I loved growing up. Yeah. And I love the concepts and the things that you just walked us through. And I think about the learning that people have done to in examining the scriptures or examining the mystics or examining the poets. And I think we have opportunities to go deeper and deeper and deeper into the meanings beyond those that we were presented with as children, we can explore the depths of them at different levels. Um, And isn't that a wonderful opportunity? So how do you talk about or explain or live out some of these beliefs that you have with friends and family, especially in our Midwest, more conservative town, who haven't had some of the same experiences and scopes and understanding that you have. Yes, that has been like such a primary teaching of the last chapter, you know, like getting to share yoga with people who had never tried it. Oh, that's so sacred. I feel the tenderness of my heart of like, you know, still like saying goodbye to that chapter. But, you know, like the word namaste means that the love, the light in me sees and honors and recognizes the light in you. And there's another poem I'm paraphrasing too, but it's like any thought that I'm better than you or worse than you shatters the glass of God's presence, shatters the vessel. And yeah, like, I mean, part of my inheritance, the particular way that Christianity was practiced was kind of like holier than thou. 
And so I have to continually like repent and root that out, like somewhere the thought that I know and you don't, like it's just in me and it disgusts me and I, and I don't want it to be in me. And I find that as I step aside it, then I get to behold, you know, the Christ in you in one way of saying it, or, or there's that old proverb, speak to the king and draw the king forth. I'm thinking of a, a man that, that I got to be friends with in the last seven years who um, I met in a garden project for formerly incarcerated people. And he was super open about his process with addiction. And when he was well, he was a regular in yoga and he was hysterically funny and brilliant man. You know, he was incarcerated for shortchanging people and had a quick mind. And he taught me so much about love and resilience and our political beliefs were super different. Our beliefs about racial consciousness were super different. And yeah, he, you know, I can feel it right now. He just, he passed a couple of days ago and I just feel how much he, he taught me about love, you know, and if I would have come at him thinking I knew something, and of course I did, I'm human. But when I could step aside that, I could feel his brilliance. And I just think that's the gift, you know, it's like, who is the beloved in you? And we each know something, you know, each of our lives has given us gifts. Each of our lives has given us trauma that we're trying to unpack and trying to see each other, you know, but the more I can remember to stand in that place and forgive myself when I can't, but the more I just like enjoy the gift of the beloved through the person that I'm talking to. I don't know the person that you're speaking of, but I'm holding him and you in my heart right now. Thank you. Me too. He's a really good man. This has been such a challenging time with loss in people and in experiences and time and identity. Um, And I know one of your gifts is actually helping people look at grief and deal with grief. Um, Do you want to speak to that? Mm -hmm. Well, I like to say crying is like pooping for your nervous system. (laughs) And we all know what happens when we don't get to take a dump for a few days. Um, But yeah, culturally, we did not inherit the regular practice. You know, boys got boys don't cry. We got messages, don't cry, you know. We learned to cry alone in our night, uh, under the pillow at night. Um, But other cultures have wisdom ways. I've gotten to learn from the teachings of Sabonfu and Maladoma Somme from the Dagara tribe in Burkina Faso, who were commissioned by their ancestors to bring grief ritual to the West. And the knowledge that it is so vital to consciously, on purpose, regularly grieve with your people. And so that is a gift that I'm tremendously grateful for and just learning to step into the practice of communal grief ritual and that experience of the, the power of diving fully into the heartbreak of this lifetime, not only the people we lose and the partners that we lose and the love that we lose, but the things that we were taught to that we, that we expected and never got like that place in us, the the vestigial knowing that we have beloved community, but we don't have it you know, that our souls were supposed to like be welcomed. I need your medicine, but we don't know how to do that. So 
grief ritual is one aspect, but practicing grief ritual, feeling what it feels like to weep in someone's arms until you're snotty and, you know, sometimes spitting or puking, you know, we're just fully going into it with drums and music and fire and each other. And then feeling like a million bucks the next day, like all this bandwidth has returned like that, that neurological practice helps me to have many moments of that in my own life where I'm just like, yeah, you just need to cry for an hour or you need to take today and just notice how effed up the world is and that it's not slow. It's not the opposite of progress, that it's absolutely part of the cycle of life. And for me, grieving lives alongside praising, you know, metaphorically, but also like literally singing. Martine Prechtel writes about grief and praise, our sisters, or grief and love, our sisters. And so just singing is the process for me of praising life. And part of praising life is grieving for the beauty and the miracle that we know are our inheritance that in our current structural arrangement, most of us are experiencing a fraction of, of the time. And grief breaks us open to be able to love more and expand our capacity for love. Absolutely. Um, we had back-to-back deaths, unexpected deaths in my family wow. uh, earlier this year. And um, my spiritual director mm. actually advised me to instate a practice of daily grieving and ritualizing that, you know, lighting a candle, giving myself 15, 20 minutes and sitting in the grief and feeling all the feels and then closing it up and going on with your day. And just that simple practice has been incredibly powerful. And I'm with you. I went through a, a long, long growth process of, of being able to cry without apologizing. And it's so important. So thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your ritual practice and just loving you and the letting go of, of your people, your losses. Mm-hmm. And I think you said something that is so wise of like creating a container for it, opening it up, experiencing it, going there and closing it. I think sometimes we are terrified of grief because we are afraid it's going to suck us in and we'll never come out. And it can totally feel like that. And we can learn it as, as, as spiritual practice, you know, and creating, creating a container, whether through time, candle, calling a friend, hold me for 10 minutes, you know, we have the capacity to develop spiritual technologies that, that we can take bite-sized pieces every day. Mm -hmm. Mm, Spiritual technologies. Right. I like that. (laughs) (sighs) So, you just have the gift of a beautiful voice. And I know song for you is integral in how you express prayer and becoming in community and emotion. And just like crying, I think a lot of people are embarrassed right. to sing and to let that let their voice be heard in that way. And you talked a lot, you talked about the gift from your mom being the piano player and and really inviting you into that practice of song. But what's what's unique and powerful for you about 
singing, both alone and in community. It opens up the path between our heart and our voice. You know, singing is, is medicine. Physiologically, in my body, it opens up that channel. And then when we sing together, our hearts and train, our heartbeats sync up. And you pointed to something that's so true. Like many of us got, we have, we have singing wounds, you know, just like we have body shame or we, you know, it's like we hold these parts of ourselves as less than, and they're just like a beautiful, you know, it's like, if you can talk, you can sing. If you walk, if you can walk, you can dance. But we unlearned that at some point and only people with quote unquote good voices are supposed to sing. And so I encountered the community singing movement. My spirit mama, Liz Rog, founded Village Fire Singing in Decorah, Iowa. It's a, a yearly community singing festival. It's also called like the natural voice movement, where it's like whatever your voice is, whatever your tool is, you're welcome. So it's not like auditioned, like a choir, or really with the same intention of necessarily creating beauty, although we do. It's more just like, how do we catch mantra? How do we sing songs that uplift our spirits? How do we let singing be part of the like lubrication of our days? I'm just thinking of like a slip and slide through your chores, through your prayers, through your driving, just like when there's a song in your heart, you've got a friend, you know? And so that festival, like I remember the first time I taught a song call and response by the fire, a song that like, it was just a song that I sang you know, to keep myself safe. I, it was when I had my art studio at the Lemp Brewery in St. Louis. And so it was like walking up four flights of stairs in the pitch black and like a 26 warehouse compound alone. And it was a little, it was a little <laughs> scary. And so I would sing and also like freaking amazing acoustics. And so I would sing. It's like a light in the, the dark. Yeah. And it really, I could sense that it was like wrapping a mantle around me. I would sing this really simple phrase. It was Love, don't worry. Love, don't worry. Perfect love casts out fear. And it would do that. It would, it would just cast out fear. And I, would, I was walking in sort of a cloud of love. And I knew that whoever could hear me, it's like I come, I come in peace, you know. <laughs> But when I sang that to them, you know, you sing one line and they sing it back to you. I just exploded open, like crying, laughing. It was like, it was a technology, a spiritual technology that was returned to me that I already knew, but I didn't know I know. And so it's become the first love of my life to sing with people. And it's become a doorway of remembering ritual and kinship of just like you know, Joanna Macy writes about world as lover, world as self. And song for me is the, it's like the essence or the heart of that experience. So I, when you were telling that story, I was recalling a time uh, or recalling multiple times actually from my youth when I used to have strong emotions and want to burst into song like Disney characters. <laughs> exactly. And really there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Life as musical. Who <laughs> feels so, and knows it. Uh-huh. So if you have your own personal soundtrack or you make up your own songs, that's actually prayer. <laughs> exactly. It's a way that I actually love to work with clients one-on-one -on -one, is developing a, a song track for your soul. Like whatever your spiritual intentions and 
needs are, you know, making sure that you have like a set list of 10 or 20 songs that you can call on and just like walk with. And it's a really fun way to, to be communicating with each other. I'm thinking of how we're like mirror neurons. I remember like in Cherokee street, St. Louis walking down the street and on the other side of the street, you know, someone would be walking towards me singing a song or rapping. And it was just like the antenna reaching for each other. Just like when you move, I move. There's a way that we really magnify our frequency when we're singing it. You know, we're always broadcasting, thinking, but it's like the volume gets turned up. Yeah. Mm, That just gave me chills. Um, (laughs) You just make me smile, Lindsay. So you're very passionate about racial justice. And one of the things that I just got to know you more was through studying two books on racial justice. But it was such a unique experience because uh, I'm a voracious reader and I've been in and started a lot of book groups. And a lot of times those book discussions are very heady and intellectual. But what was so unique about the experience in walking through this with you was that it was done in a contemplative and embodied way. And so how do you how do you use that approach in the work that you do and in your life? And how do you bring in those contemplative and embodied aspects to racial justice, to art, to to just your life? It's mm, a really yummy question. I mean, I think yogis like to say the issues are in the tissues, you know, like a lot of where our woundings or where our misbeliefs lives are are located in us on a cellular level and you know, Resma Menachem or Menachem. I don't know how to say his name. Do you? I actually heard him on the On Being podcast, but I do not remember. Okay, we'll have to look that up. But like in my grandmother's hands, racialized trauma and the pathway to mending our hearts and bodies, he is really zooming into this, that where this conditioning lives in us is just like in the ways that we slightly bristle or repress desire or, you know, have a negative negative like image come up just in thinking of of another race and so how can we trace it back and like uh, my mentors at holistic resistance say slow it down let's slow it down i love the documents that are floating around the internet of like the characteristics of white supremacy you know progress and intellectualism and perfectionism and so a lot of the times when we're in a book group we're actually just we might be talking about anti-racist practice, but in our ways of being, we're actually like replicating these neural pathways. And so, yeah, I think I'm just getting more practice at feeling like, when am I in my head? Like, when am I trying to prove to you that I'm smart and you should like me or fearing the worst, fearing your judgment, judging you? And when am I actually like, like, you know, doing my best to feel, feel you, feel with you, be with you, not be separate from you. And for me, that's where the salvation, that's where it's like, oh, the love is starting. I can feel my heart again. Like I can trust this process. It might feel really uncomfortable because it's really unfamiliar and I have to face a lot that I haven't known how to face yet, but it's worth it because our hearts are, are together. You know, we're, we're with each other. Like we're, when the Bible says where two or more are gathered there, I am. 
Like that's the antidote to white supremacy is like belonging and interbeing. And if I'm going to trace white supremacy down into my cells, it's like it requires that slowing down and that forgiving and that grieving. And so I just see if I can get there or attempt to get there or be compassionate with myself when I can't get there. But like, you know, the heart of my grandmother's hands message to me is like a settled body settles other bodies. And the, the testing ground for me with that is like with, with the teaching work I get to do at the juvenile detention center, because there's a lot of heightened nervous systems in that place for good reason. And so just that inquiry for me is, is like how to have a settled body and invite each other to settle so that, because for me, real learning can't actually happen until we're inquiring in that place together. Mm-hmm. What else has opened up for you or transformed or grown in regards to racial justice, especially in the past year? Well, I was really blessed to get to know um, Portia Bede from Holistic Resistance in a one-on-one kind of way, receiving her mentorship. And she taught me so much how to love. She taught me so much about unconditional love. And the first teacher I ever had around around race, Amy Hunter, an African-American woman who at that time was in leadership at the YWCA in St. Louis and encouraging that was the first time I'd heard of white, you know, ally groups getting together to do work. And she was supporting white people to get together using the book Witnessing Whiteness by Shelley Tuffluck. And the thing she said that stuck with me was that, like, this is a love story we're writing. You're not doing this for somebody else. You know, you're doing this for your own heart, for your own liberation. And what is it if you embrace it as a love story, not as something to check off your checklist? And so I think, you know, especially in just the glaring experiences of of police brutality and the openings that those create to rethink policing and rethink the prison industrial complex, I guess it continues to shift from being something like extra to think about to feeling like the path forward, just like a central aspect of, of spiritual practice. And I feel like, you know, constantly a beginner, but I think it's really causing me to question what is my role? What is my role in prison abolition? What is my role as a white person? You know, am I to lead or am I to just like really be using my skills to support and uplift BIPOC leadership right now, and just to keep asking and keep being curious about what is, how are my gifts part of this picture? You know, it's definitely an all hands on deck place and way and moment. Mm-hmm. And just to keep asking the questions, to keep asking the questions out loud with other people, keep inviting people to speak to my blind spots with love. So as I've had conversations with other people around this podcast, one of the things that have come up quite a bit is love. Define love for me. (laughs) Well, and it's, it, I know that's, that's kind of a weird, like that could be a podcast in and of itself, but, um, 
I think one of our issues that maybe, or our disconnects maybe, is that because of the way that each of us define love based on our own lived experiences and experience of receiving love, we are using the same word, but it means very different things to different people. And so when you say love just in a, I don't know, just in a very small way, what does that mean to you? I'm like an image person. So (laughs) it's like the image of holding and being held simultaneously. The experience of like being like broken open or like if you can think of like a, a, a pipe with a clog in it and just like, whoosh, whoosh. like the, the thing that clears the channel so that what is can be. I mean, I think love already is. I think it's the nature of life, of the universe. God is love, is all. And we're here in these funny little meat suits trying, trying to get it, <laughs> trying to like talk about it and feel it. And, you know, it's like the, the riff like, boo, get out the way, get out the way. Or like Rumi, like, don't seek for love, just dismantle, get at, you know, whatever is in the way, get rid of that. I don't know. That's what's coming up for me as you ask. Yeah. It's like the $10 million question probably. <laughs> So what is love? (laughs) Don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. No more. (laughs) Well, and, and, uh, yeah, I think I'm going to do a sermon on that sometime. Because if you like put together like 10 different songs, they can be 10 different definitions of love. And some of them aren't that hot. (laughs) I'll come to that. I'll I'll sing in. I'll sing in. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, this has been just such a, a heart conversation. And I'm going to ask two kind of closing questions. So where do you see the divine as most alive for you right now, today? In your sweet face. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I mean, I think the game for me is like, is now, is like the, the present moment is the doorway. The door is round and open. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's yeah. where I get to get it right now. It's like yeah, just feeling you beaming at me. Yeah, it's like a constant game of I spy with my little eye. Where do you see the divine right now? <laughs> Is it yellow? Is it? <laughs> We've talked a lot about meaningful spiritual practices and spiritual technologies, but what's your favorite practice right now? I like to wake up and be be slow and just like kind of be like a kitty cat in my prayers and pleasure. I like to do some Qigong and really notice the energy of the earth and notice the energy of the cosmos and notice how they meet in my heart. I like asking open-ended questions like Hafez asks, God, what love mischief can we do today? Just sort of like dwelling in the, dwelling in the presence, like knowing that all is well, knowing that I'm beloved just as I am, and being curious about how, how that force wants to like be active in me through the day. I like to wake up and do that. The Course in Miracles asks it like, where would you have me go? What would you have me do? 
What would you have me say and to whom? I'm just kind of ground in that awareness that, you know, we all get to be the eyes and the mouths and. So We're the divine right here and now on earth. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Was there anything that you want to share or how can people connect with you or any of the lovely things that you're doing? Well, I love to sing with people. And right now in, in pandemic times, it looks like Zoom singing. So I host a weekly, I just think of it kind of as a little oasis. We do some embodiment and invocation and a little check-in of like, what's, what's in the house? What are people wanting to sing for? And then we just sing. And when you're at home, you're off mute or you're, you're muted. And so it's like real, no pressure, especially if like singing is an edge for you. There's definitely moments if you feel feisty and you just love hearing being heard, there's moments where you get to take the floor if you want to, but there's zero pressure. So it's a song power hour. People can come hang out and sing if they want to. And then I'm also part of a, an emerging group called Earthkeepers Wisdom School that's based in land around St. Louis, Missouri, learning ceremony and dialogue with the earth in service of social change. And I get to carry song for that and be collaborating with um, Carolyn Griffith, who's holding the vision, and Tamira Cousset, who's bringing ancestral practices. And so I'm really excited to be connecting with people here in the heartland who are curious about spiritual practices grounded in the earth. Well, we'll definitely put links to all of those wonderful things and people want to sing, we'll get them connected with the community of song. Thanks for being such a weaver. Thank you for calling our, calling our, our gifts and our love forward and weaving us all together in ways that we can just know who's here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just such a gift to be able to connect with you and to connect with other souls in in the east central illinois area and i appreciate this conversation and i appreciate those who have been listening in so thank you thank you for listening to everything is spiritual and taking time to nourish your soul tune in each week for a little community and a lot of conversation or subscribe in your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss our next episode For more resources around spiritual exploration, restoration, and transformation, be sure to sign up on our mailing list at experiencesoulcare.com. Visit our website for information on retreats, workshops, and services from our partners. Or better yet, come visit our welcoming space in Urbana to say hi and get a steaming cup of tea. Soul Care Urban Retreat Center is a warm, welcoming, and accessible place for you to refresh, renew, and restore your mind, body, heart, and soul. We set a great big table, and everyone is welcome. Until next week, be well.